Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest, and then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have, so let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Joan Dentler is the founder of Avanza Healthcare Strategies, and she joins our host, Nick Latz, this week to dive into their fifth annual Hospital Leadership ASC survey. Nick and Joan talk through the results of the survey and key conclusions and trends around ASC ownership, reasons why hospitals and health systems are interested in ASCs, what the equity breakout could look like, where third-party management companies come into play, and much more. In our news recap, we'll cover a terrible act of violence against a surgeon in Tennessee and tips for preventing violence at your facility, a lawsuit between UCLA Health and Mattel, surgeons in New York who have performed the first ever whole eye transplant in a human, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about a woman who created a hummingbird hospital. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in Surgery Centers. Joan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. We're excited to have you back on, and I'm excited for this conversation and the topic at hand, and looking forward to talking through the Avanza Intelligence Hospital Leadership ASC survey. Joan, understand this is the fifth time that you've done this survey. Can you tell us a little bit about What's the methodology, who you talk to as part of the survey, and how that's evolved over the years? Sure, sure. Let me just say that the reason we do the survey is having worked in the hospital ASC space for several years, pretty much since the founding of the company, we were always looking for data on hospitals and their relationship with ASCs and couldn't find it. And so about five years ago, we decided, well, you know, if you can't, if you can't find it, I guess you have to build it. So... We have engaged health leaders media. We feel like they're a great resource for hospital leaders. And so they conduct the survey. So we aren't doing it ourselves. And we ask them to look for and to to survey hospital and health system leaders. We go through a list. We just really want C-suite or very high level operational or clinical leadership. We've asked them to try to get as diverse as a segment of the population. So from all areas of the country, and we include that in the survey so everybody can see sort of where everybody comes from. And primarily larger hospitals, just because we do know that smaller hospitals don't tend to need surgery centers. So it's largely not-for-profit hospitals with over 200 beds. Fantastic. And, and one of the key areas the survey hits on is hospital and health system interest in ASCs. And so in terms of the trend, what were kind of the key conclusions from this year related to hospital interest in ASCs and how has that changed over historical um, years? Well, it's not surprising to us having worked in this area, but it just keeps growing. The number of hospital systems owning ASCs keeps rising. It's now up to close to 50%. When we started the survey, it was closer to 40. So it's kind of a slow and steady growth. And I think the other thing that we find interesting is that it's uh, 
a lot of the health systems that we talk to own more than one ASC. And so that's a continually growing phenomena is that it's not just having one off ASC, they'll have multiple. And then I guess the biggest takeaway for this year had to do with the fact that we're seeing more and more that want to own 100% of the ASCs that they have. Mm. So. And I want to dig into that here in a second in terms of the ownership mm-hmm. options. Before jumping into that, though, the reasons. What reasons are health systems citing for developing or building ASCs? Well, again, this kind of fluctuates and we give them lots of choices in the survey to sort of rank order. And it looks like the increased surgical capacity overall comes out as one of the top reasons. Also responding to consumers. And we're assuming that a lot of that is the consumer desire for lower cost when they're having elective surgery. One thing we found really interesting is that there are some groups that we work with that it's absolutely payer pressures. The payers are telling them we, we, you know, we're not going to pay for these procedures in hospitals anymore. Yep. But that did not come out is in the top like one, you know, two or three reasons. So we're also seeing that's very regional. Some areas payers are really pushing. In some areas uh, of the country, payers haven't really jumped on that bandwagon quite as much. But we're also seeing an increase in the whole idea of because of a value-based strategy. If the health system is looking at that, they have to have an ASC. Right. And, and the payer piece is interesting is just kind of a general healthcare consumer like we all are. I'm starting to get advertising in the mail for the first time for my health insurance company, educating me on the benefits of doing elective procedures in an ASC setting. So, so it yeah. does seem like the payors are kind of stepping up the awareness and marketing to consumers. Definitely. And we also, you know, we see it sometimes where the pressure is not even on the hospital. It is more pushing the consumer, the patient, and it's also putting some pressure on the surgeons. So we're seeing a lower professional fee given to surgeons if they do a procedure in a hospital when it could have been done in an ASC. So there's a lot of subtle pressures that the payers are putting to look, obviously to lower the cost of the overall experience of a elective surgery. So, so roughly 50% of hospitals and health systems have an ASC footprint or, or presence. I'm curious about the management side of this. What okay. trends are you seeing in terms of hospitals and health systems using external ASC management companies versus doing self-management? Well, we look at this every year and the use of outside managers is a question that we've asked from the very beginning. And the first year we did the survey, it was 23% of the hospitals that we surveyed used an outside management company. As we have been doing the survey, it continues to drop to where this year it came in at 12%. And so that's a pretty big drop in five yeah. years. And so that that does surprise me a little bit. And I know you work with hospital groups all the time that are exploring these strategies. What do you think are the key considerations for hospital groups as they go through the decision process of external management versus internal? Right. Well, well, first of all, let me just define internal. Sometimes internal management can mean all kinds of different things. It can mean either the hospital wants to manage it themselves or what we're seeing now. And I think this is a real testament to the maturity of the ASC space Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of strong ASC experts out there now? People that either worked for management companies or set up the ASCs and have been running them for years and years. And so 
the trend that we are seeing that we are attributing the sort of drop in the dependence on outside third-party management companies is that the larger health systems are developing the competency in-house. They're creating an ASC division, a surgery center division within the health system. They're going around and they're hiring the best and the brightest out of the ASC world and leaving those people alone. They understand the need not to run their ASC platform like a hospital. So they build an ASC division. So where that was really unheard of, probably... Well, for sure, when I entered into this space 15 years ago, but probably even at the beginning of this survey, it was very rare that you would see health systems do that. We are seeing more and more health systems, if they have multiple ASCs, seeing that it makes sense. Same way they have a radiology department or, you know, other departments within the hospital, they're creating that, but they are smart enough, most of them, to create it with people that come directly out of the ASC space and understand how ASCs are different than just outpatient hospital surgery. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting trend and glad to hear that, you know, kind of in general, health systems are looking to hire folks with ASC operating expertise because we've talked about in the past that it, it, it is different, right? There's typically mm-hmm. different processes, different systems, different technology. How do you think in general the, the hospital systems are doing and creating these kind of uh, ASC divisions? For the most part, the ones that we interact with, they've brought in some really strong, good people. And so, you know, it seems to be working really well. It keeps it kind of all in-house. They may go out and outsource some of the other services like RCM or Mm -hmm. HR or some of those things as part of this. But the groups that they have running their departments are really, you know, they know who the good providers of those services are. And I think what I've seen working with the health system right now, who's doing this and what I've seen is the physicians really, if they're physician partners in it, in the ASC, they really like it because it's not a third institutional partner like or second institutional partner. So you've got the hospital and the doctors as partners. And if you have a management company, you have to make room for most of the, those that require, they require equity. So you have to have some equity come out of either the hospital or the doctor's of parcels for the management company. And I think they like the fact that it leaves more equity on the table. I will say, just to make sure everybody's real clear on this is, you know, hospitals can't provide any type of management services for free to an ASC that's owned by physicians. So there has to be a fee for some of these things, but it just really depends on the extent that the hospital department is actually hands-on managing versus just sort of keeping an eye on the hospital's investment. Yeah, it's a, it's an, an interesting trend. And I think from the standpoint of the hospital, there's an economic incentive or reason, right? Which probably you get to capture that fee revenue, as you just mentioned, versus paying that to someone else. Is there also an advantage just around controlling case volume and having more access to where case volume goes within the overall health network? Yeah, I don't see that, you know, being much different. Uh, Again, like I said, a lot of these hospitals are doing this. If they know if they're going to do it, they need to, you know, be hands off and let it run. So it's the the actual running of the ASC is not really that different. It's really more, like I said, not having this a, a third party come in. 
I will say that there's still room for some management companies, but what you'll see, I think, in the hospital space, at least with ASCs, is the management companies really have to be able to explain the value proposition that they offer. And so that's, I think, a little different when I first started, management companies could just say, we'll take care of this for you. But now that there's so much talent out there and there's so much tech available to ASCs and other vendors, you really have to show what are you going to bring and how is that different from if we just hire a really strong administrator and hire a really good RCM company and get a really good tech platform, what else are you bringing? And so I think it's putting a little pressure uh, that the management companies, you're going to see the cream rise to the top, I guess is what I'm saying. You're going to see the people, the, mm-hmm. the management companies that really have strong either payer relationships or, or some, you know, supplier relationships that where they can really bring a strong value to the ASC. Those management companies will still have a place in the space. But I think just the blanket, well, we need a management company is now being questioned little tighter. Obviously the data shows that going to right. 23% to 12. So, you know, like I said, I think you'll see the cream rise to the top when it comes to management companies in the ASC space. Got it. Okay. And I want to go back to the reasons hospitals are interested in having an ASC presence. You mentioned capacity, consumers, payers. What about the physician side of this? Because I read in your report that I think one of the benefits, at least from a health system, is, hey, we're able to offer our physicians the equity piece of ASC ownership and give them that overall benefit within the health system environment. Right, right. And I'll tell you, that is becoming more and more a uh, not a nice to have, but a must have for physician recruitment. We had a a client who recently told us they were trying to recruit a spine surgeon and the health system was in the process of developing an ASC, but it was about two years down the road. And the spine surgeon basically decided to go with another opportunity because they didn't want to wait two years for an ASC. Mm -hmm. So it's almost something that if you want to recruit busy, you know, high quality outpatient surgeons, you're going to have an ASC and you're going to have to be able to provide them equity in that because they want that other revenue stream. Even if they're employed or if they're independent, it really doesn't matter. They really want that revenue stream. Got it. So talking about that overall ownership structure for these ASCs within a health system, I think I read in your survey that was it the average is something like that the hospital group owns 50%? Did I get that right or is it a little um, bit different? You know, I think what we're seeing is that the hospitals are starting to really negotiate that, uh, you know, up or down depending on the needs of the physicians. What we are seeing is more and more hospitals who are owning 100%. That mm-hmm. uh, So basically saying that they aren't doing this kind of kicking and screaming they are building ASCs because they know that's the right thing to do. But yeah, as far as ownership goes, we're seeing it, and I apologize, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but we're seeing it stay right around that 50% mark, but not necessarily more than 50%, which is how it we began in the hospital space where hospitals wanted to own all of it, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a large portion of it. But 
There are issues around being able to have the hospital negotiate contracts and things like that to where the hospital owning closer to 50 to 51% could be advantageous for the surgeons as well. Got it. Got it. So, so it sounds like we're seeing health systems typically own at least 50%. Sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 100 and, and, and probably some different options in between. When the health system doesn't own 100%, who typically owns the other percentage? You mentioned the physicians. Does that make up the difference or are there other groups in there as well? The other groups that we're starting to see moving into the hospital ASC space are besides management companies that have been there for a while is private equity and getting involved. You know, they are obviously very into the ASC space in all kinds of ways. And then we're also seeing payers Mm. who want to get into the ASC space as well. So we need to make room for all of these different players as we are moving forward in the, like I said, this continuing maturing of the ASC market. I, I think all of these things I'm talking about, the management, the ownership, whatever, are really because everybody, you know, people weren't really sure how long ASCs were going to stick around. I think it's very clear now that ASCs are a part of the U.S. healthcare landscape, international as well, but they're definitely part of the U.S. healthcare landscape and CMS in their recent release of the ASC payer schedule or the schedule for ASC cases, we saw more and more things going in towards the ASC. So I think it's a clear sign that ASCs aren't going away. Right. Got it. Okay. Joan, any other trends that popped out for you in the report that we haven't talked about yet? No, I mean, I know I've mentioned it kind of tangentially a couple of times, but this idea of the hospitals owning 100%, like I said, I think what that speaks to is Hospitals got involved in ASCs a lot because the doctors threatened to pull their cases. Then they continued to be involved with them because they were buying physician practices. And as part of that transaction, they threw in the ASC. Now we're starting to see hospitals voluntarily saying we must have an ASC, which is, like I said, further confirmation that they are going to be a part of the fundamental healthcare landscape. So we saw that more, the 100% ownership by hospitals, we saw more this year than any year in the past. It's interesting. It seems like it's more part of the health system strategic plan at this point versus kind of a reaction, reactive, something that's happened like you Definitely. articulated before. Definitely. And, and we're seeing hospitals calling us about, you know, help us with a system-wide strategy. So not having just these one-off ASCs that they happen to buy or a group of physicians pressured them to set up. They now want to set up a true strategy. And we're seeing the CON laws around ASCs starting to be challenged in so many more states. So I think it's really just going to start. It's going to be a, a landslide of more and more hospitals getting into this space. Got it. Final question for you, Joan. We do this every week with our guests. What is one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery centers? I would say thank their staff. And by that, I mean, you know, everybody talks to us about their biggest issue being staffing and recruiting new staff is much harder than retaining your current staff. So I would say going out of your way to thank your staff, even just a verbal thank you is great, but even all the way to somehow sharing in some sort of profit sharing plan. But if you've got good staff, having the surgeons thank them, having whoever the owners are know their names, all of that just goes 
so far. So I would just say realizing how valuable your staff is. And we just deal with too many people who are trying to find staff. So Mm -hmm. if you've got them, keep them and thank them. It's all about the people. That's good advice. So Joe, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. Okay. Thank you so much. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. This first story is a really tough one, but I think it's an important story and message to share. Dr. Mock was an orthopedic surgeon at the Campbell Clinic in Tennessee, and over the summer, he was fatally gunned down by a 29-year-old patient of his who had actually been a patient for two years. And this patient had allegedly also been threatening a Campbell Clinic staffer for a week leading up to the incident. The shooter was immediately arrested and taken into custody after the event. Now, I share this story because multiple studies show that violence against doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers is on the rise. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, healthcare workers' risk of injury due to workplace violence is five times greater than employees in other industries. Nurses are especially vulnerable, and according to a 2022 study from National Nurses United, 40% of nurses have seen an increase in violence. So what's being done about this? In an attempt to ensure worker safety, some agencies are calling for measures that range from metal detection at entrances to teaching healthcare workers how to identify signs of imminent trouble, what to do if an incident begins, and even to creating new laws specific to assaults against medical workers. I know all of that kind of would cost more money and, you know, everyone's already strapped for budget, but Back in August, we had shared an article from ASCA with a lot of great tips for implementing different security safeguards. So I will link that article in the episode notes again, but I also wanted to reshare some of the tips that ASCA had suggested. The first is double check and possibly upgrade the locking mechanisms on all doors and windows. Hire part-time off-duty police officers to help keep patients and visitors under control. Install keypads so that visitors are unable to move past the waiting room unattended. Add security cameras outside your facility. Install a silent alarm system so that you can alert local police. And lastly, make sure your employees are properly trained for any situation or emergency. So our thoughts are with Dr. Mock's family and all the other healthcare workers who have been affected by workplace violence. And I hope everyone can do their best to stay safe out there. In our second story, UCLA Health is suing Mattel, the toy and entertainment company behind Barbie, Hot Wheels, and many others, claiming that they never followed through with a pledged $49 million donation. According to the lawsuit, in 2017, the toy company pledged to donate $49 million to the health system over the course of 12 years. And in return for their generosity, UCLA agreed to work Mattel's logo and corporate branding into their marketing and other elements as well. However, the lawsuit alleges that Mattel last made a payment of a $1 million in 2018. Now, Mattel's poor financial state caused them to put a pause in donations in 2017, which is odd considering that's the same year they allegedly made this pledge. And when the pause was over in 2021, the toy company allegedly attempted to negotiate its pledge down to $10 million from $49 million. 
and that new pledge would only include $2.5 million in cash, and the rest would be made up in toys and in-kind marketing. But UCLA said, oh nay, they are looking to receive the full amount originally promised to them and damages they incurred stemming from the toy company allegedly backing out. Now, considering the Barbie movie raked in $1.4 billion in ticket sales, which was not produced by Mattel, but they were, of course, affiliated, and Mattel itself is projecting $125 million in Barbie doll sales alone, it's going to be a tough sell for Mattel to get out of this if what UCLA is claiming turns out to be true. So we will keep a close eye on the story to see how the lawsuit plays out. In an article from Medscape, surgeons in New York have performed the first ever whole eye transplant in a human, an accomplishment being hailed as a breakthrough, even though the patient has not regained sight in the eye. So the recipient of the eye is Aaron James, who is a 46-year-old veteran from Arkansas who survived a work-related high-voltage electrical accident that destroyed the left side of his face, his nose, mouth, and his left eye. So initially, doctors were planning to include the eyeball as part of the face transplant just for cosmetic reasons. But in the six months since the surgery, the grafted eye has shown important signs of health, including well-functioning blood vessels and a promising-looking retina. To encourage healing of the connection between the donor and the recipient optic nerves, surgeons harvested adult stem cells from the donor's bone marrow and injected them into the optic nerve during the transplant, hoping they would replace damaged cells and protect the nerve. The transplant surgery took 21 hours. And the patient shared that the doctors told him from the get-go that they didn't expect the eye to work. And Aaron James told them, even if I can't see, maybe at least you can learn something to help the next person. Hopefully this opens up a new path, which is just unbelievably selfless and kind. And I wish him all the best in his recovery and congrats to the surgeons in New York for making progress in this area. And to end our new segment on a positive note, because we absolutely need it after some of these stories, a woman in Mexico City turned her apartment into a hummingbird hospital. Now, hummingbirds have a special history in mythology and Mexican culture, so it's no surprise that someone like Katia Latouf is going to great lengths to save and protect them. 12 years ago, Katia took in her first injured hummingbird, and since then, her home has become a makeshift clinic for sick, injured, or infant hummingbirds. She often cares for dozens of birds at the same time, and a foundation to train up the next generation of hummingbird whisperers is in the works. Now, you should definitely check out the article because there is a very sweet photo of Katia and her birds. And I think that this makes Katya an honorary veterinary nurse, in my opinion. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we will see you again next week.